Hey guys, before we get started this week, I want to update you on our upcoming podcast schedule. We'll be taking the next month or so off for the holidays before getting back to releasing every other week starting at the end of January. If there are any guests you'd like to hear on the show, or just any comments that you have about the show, you can reach out to fortworthfoodstories at gmail.com. That's fortworthfoodstories at gmail.com. I also want to remind everyone to check out our blog. Head to fwfoodstories.com for some great content, including monthly recipes, a Fort Worth event schedule, Q&As with John Bunnell, and a lot more. Again, that's fwfoodstories.com, and I'll put the link for that in the bio to the show. I hope you enjoy this interview with Dr. Wisniewski, and happy holidays. Well, well, we'll establish first what kind of cheddar that we, we want to use. Um, so we'll, we'll buy cheddar from, say, Central Market, all the different cheddars that are out there. Jalapenos, there's a lot of different types of jalapenos, pickled jalapenos, sweet jalapenos, the raw jalapenos. What happens when you roast them? What kind of flavors do you get? So our folks here, we, we go search all over the globe, you know, through because of the technology that we have, to find out what trends are out there. What do you do? You have crops rotting in the field. People are still, they like that hatch flavor, so then we come up with other chilies that are out there and then fortify with a hatch chili natural flavor. You are listening to Fort Worth Food Stories, brought to you by the Culinary School of Fort Worth. All right, welcome to Fort Worth Food Stories. I'm your host, James Creange. I'm joined today by Dr. Jim Wisniewski, founder of Culinary Focus and the Spice Guild. Thank you so much for joining me today. No, you're welcome. Good and, to see you. Yeah, and actually, I should probably say thank you for having me out to your facility. It's an awesome spot uh, here today, so I appreciate that. Um, I'm guessing a lot of people listening right now maybe don't know about Culinary Focus and the Spice Guild and, and what you guys do. So let's start right there. You know, what what is it that you do? Okay, we're, we're kind of a, well, not kind of, we are a hybrid of a product development company and a seasoning company. So what we, when we develop a product, we develop the whole system and at, at the end of the development process, we, we end up selling a, a bag of what we call functional seasoning blends which have spices, herbs, uh, some flavors, some colorants, and maybe uh, stabilizers that are in there, salt, pepper, and uh, sugar. And, and what kind of companies are you doing these for? Are you doing these for big companies, small restaurants, you know, somewhere in between? Uh, primarily the large large restaurant groups. Um, we work with the manufacturers who put the products into the restaurants because, as, as we all know, in, in chain restaurants, you can't have everybody cooking from scratch in the back in order yeah. to come up with a uniform product. Yeah, I, I think what's, you know, it's just such a fascinating industry to me. I think... A lot of times you don't think about when you go to a Panera Bread. I mean, we talked about their mm-hmm. soup orders before. Um, you know, you're getting 20,000 pounds of the spice that's going into their soup or whatever. Um, you never really think about the behind the scenes of the food development, or at least I, I personally don't. Um, and there's a list of different aspects I want to go through with you, you know, certain things that were up on your website. Um, but let's start with flavor chemistry. What, what does that mean and how do you accomplish it? Well, we, we always start out with, with the real thing. So if you're if we're working on on fruits or meat products, we'll break those down to understand what makes up a certain fruit, what makes up a blueberry, what chemicals are, are in that, and then try to find foods that are naturally occurring that will enhance those those products. So, you know, if you, um, in blueberries, you might have some earthy notes, you might have some sweet notes. 
So, you know, we, we try to find those in, in nature. So you, you might combine those with mushrooms and you can do all kinds of things with different fruits with raspberries and, and blueberries and put them into a meat product, but you really wouldn't necessarily call them out, but it does enhance the meat flavors. Yeah. Okay. So that's, okay. That's interesting. So yeah. I, would you consider yourself more of a enhancer of flavor or, or more of kind of, you are the flavor for a, for a lot of products, if, if that makes sense? Well, we act, we build um, flavors into products. So we, it, it's like, just like cosmetics that we were talking about earlier, you have base notes, middle notes, and top notes, and that's how we build a, a product. So you have base flavors, middle flavors, and then your, your, your top notes. So as you eat it, there's layers and layers of flavors that are coming out. Yeah, so let's say I'm a chip company and I want cheddar jalapeno chips. Mm -hmm. You know, what's your process like of, of pinpointing both of those flavors and then finding the perfect balance for those flavors? And what's your base flavor and all that? Well, we'll, we'll establish first what kind of cheddar that we, we want to use. Um, so we'll, we'll buy cheddar from say Central Market, all the different cheddars that are out there. Jalapenos, there's a lot of different types of jalapenos, pickled jalapenos, sweet jalapenos, the raw jalapenos. What happens when you roast them? What kind of flavors do you get? And then we identify which ones we want to go with. And then we are able to find dry versions of those. There's companies out there who just spray dry cheese all day long, who take the block, make the liquid, and then put it through a tower and comes out into a fine powder. Same on, on the, the pepper side. They'll do the same thing. They'll puree it, and then they'll dry it down. Or there, there might be liquids, uh, flavors as well that we use. And so we'll start building those with salt and some other fillers and onion and garlic, of course, has to go into all that stuff. And yeah. those are all dry, too. Okay. And then so we just keep building and building until we get the end result. So let's say I gave you that request. So we're here today. It's a, you know, what is it, a Tuesday. Mm -hmm. um, and I've given you this request. I want this jalapeno cheddar cheese chip. Um, how long until I'm getting my product? Well, most projects that we, we have, we try to get out within 48 hours. Something a little bit longer term might take a couple weeks. But we would have, we, we sit down and we identify with our client just what flavors are you looking for. So, you know, the cheddar, do they want more buttery notes? Do they want more acidic notes? And so that's how we then start to build it. We would probably ask you to come back tomorrow, same time, and we'll have some things to show you, and then we can then fine tune it because you kind of know what you want in your head, and so it's our job to try to get that information out. Okay, yeah, that's, I, I, this whole process is really fascinating to me, and it's been fascinating. You know, you toured us around the facility just listening to you talk about it and um, all that kind of stuff, and it's cool when I talk to someone who has a passion for something that is, is super interesting like this and, and kind of niche um, in a way. Has there ever been a product that you sent to market that later on you maybe wish you hadn't? <laughs> it, it didn't. The flavor wasn't what you thought it was while I was here at the facility. Um, just at this company or in my career? Just in your career, because you've done this, and, and talk about that maybe for a second too, is um, you've been doing this almost your whole life, right? Yes, yes. I, I started in industry when I was about 22 years old. I started working in a chocolate company at Quality Assurance, went to work for um, three major flavor companies that are out there, and, the, and those companies just manufacture flavors. They do um, isolation of all the chemicals in the flavors and, and then build them up. And there's a lot of different ways, which would probably take a whole nother hour to talk about, <laughs> that they do. So that's where I, I pretty much cut my teeth in the, in the uh, food industry. We were 
building flavor applications lab so that we would end up working on developing the finished product to be able to show the flavor rather than giving somebody a bottle. Um, and then I ended up going to work for the Stroh Brewing Company, set up a sensory group there, took that system wide, and then I was recruited to come down to Frito-Lay as a senior scientist in the flavor and seasoning group. I did that for, for a couple of years and then had an opportunity to go into a partnership in the seasoning company. We grew that, we sold that, started another one, and um, grew that, sold that. I had a brewery in downtown Dallas called St. Andrew's Brewing Company. Mm-hmm. We sold that and then started this up um, about almost 12 years now. Okay. But probably the, the um, probably the worst product and the most embarrassing product that ever hit the market, it was called Stuffers, and it's, it's one that we we did for Frito, or when I was at Frito, and it was just a like a seashell extruded um, corn-based product, and it was a high fat. It was almost fifty-fifty fat and shell, and it was. It's not on the market and didn't last long. It was probably one of the most miserable products that was out there. But, you know, when we consumer tested it, consumers liked it. We did feeding studies with the rats in the back room because we, we did our own feeding studies. And the rats would scrape out the filling. Really? And they would just eat the crispy shell on it. <laughs> and so I said, you know, even the rats won't eat this stuff, so why are we wasting all this time? Well, <laughs> the product was launched, great packaging, um, had a lot of issues with keeping the fat in, in the shell, and, yeah. and that was it. But um, whenever it was talked about at Frito, no, don't know who worked on that. Because <laughs> it was terrible stuff. <laughs> yeah, I hope you haven't just outed yourself here on, on the podcast. <laughs> um, but this, this does kind of lead me into uh, new product development. So are you going to companies and you're pitching what you think might work, or are they giving you specific instructions, or are you meeting somewhere in the middle there? It, it works both ways. Sometimes uh, customers will come in and they will ask for specific things, uh, you know, if it's say macaroni and cheese and they want macaroni and cheese like mom used to make or something with more butter maybe lobster maybe some truffles and so that's what we would do but then we also show them something that we think that they would like so our folks here we we go um search all over the globe you know through because of the technology that we have to find out what trends are out there and what new foods what new cooking platforms are out there new cuisines and we're talking about you know uh, South Carolina, you know, there's a, a, a group of people that are direct descendants from Africa. They're there. They speak a separate language. They have their own cuisine, and a lot of it are stews, and they're just really, really good. Um, so we, we take that kind of information and try to build products for, you know, if it's one of the casual dining restaurants to put it in. Maybe do a pot pie out of it or something yeah. like that. And when you guys land on a product, you're not actually creating it in-house and sending it out to a Panera Bread or, or you know, a, a place like that. You're sending the spices, is that right? No, we, we always send out finished products. Oh, you do? Yeah, okay. so if, you, if you're looking for a soup, we send out a finished frozen soup to okay. you. If you're looking for a protein, um, say it's a chicken and you want it to be, you know, have a Southwest flavor to it, we'll vacuum marinate it, we'll flash freeze it, we might uh, put the grill marks on it, and then vacuum pack it and ship it out to you. And there's enough there, so if you burn the first one, you can try the next one. <laughs> and then we get the feedback, usually the next day, because everything has to be sent out overnight. And then they put their own signature on it. Maybe they want a little bit more garlic, maybe you know a little less salt. We do that, and then send out the finished product again. Okay. And we do that for, for a couple of reasons. One is that it ensures us that the customer 
taste the product and it's made properly because I've been on the other side and you get distracted during the day. You get phone calls, you get meetings, and then you go back to the bench and you go, I think I added this ingredient, although I didn't cross it out. Yeah, I probably added it. It looks like it's in there. And then you make up the product and it doesn't come out the way that you want. So in order to help the developers at these restaurant groups and other R&D groups, we send them the finished product. So we, we actually do their homework for them. Okay. Yeah, that uh, uh, seems to make sense. How do you go about choosing what groups you're going to work with? Um, are there certain groups that, you know, I, I'm sure you get flooded with requests, right? So um, how do you choose which products or projects to take on? You know, a lot of it is, is based on uh, the people that we work with, the restaurant groups that we work with. There's, you know, certain people that uh, or certain groups that will use resources of different companies and you, you never get to go anywhere. So we, I guess at this point in our business, we can be a little bit, pickier and we, we we try to work with folks that are really passionate about food food forward companies and trying to stay true to, to the real stuff that yeah. goes into foods yeah and uh, that's one of the interesting things I thought uh, you had brought up earlier on our tour was um, you talked about certain products that you want to stay away from using mm-hmm. and, and you're trying to get more to the um, you know healthy and to the environment I mean we're drinking boxed water here right so uh, tell me about why you've had that shift in mindset and and what kind of products you're looking to stay away from you know over the last couple of years the market's been going uh, with what the consumers want consumers want you know clean labels they want organic they want non-gmo um, and not so much built products and so that's that's what we go to, and because there's there's things that we've added to our foods over the years that uh, do have effects on our on our body. You know, like you know we talked about high fructose corn syrup. Some of the sweeteners that are out there we don't work with. High fructose corn syrups we don't work with because of what it what's done to our bodies. And we present all these white papers to our customers to explain why we won't use certain things. Yeah. And it's just trying to get back to where we all grew up. Um, and it's and it's all about the story that we tell about the food. You know, I uh, I learned how to cook from my grandmother, I, and there's I have pictures of me sitting in the sink as as a little toddler. You know, just playing with with the vegetables and yeah. stuff. And so I, I learned the passion and the love that that you get from from cooking. And that's what we're trying trying to push with using all natural stuff. And do you think that we are headed back in that direction? That we're you know, 10 years from now, we might be looking at the majority of your options being that all natural? I think so, because um, that's really what consumers want. However, saying that, um, we're, we're at a point in time because, you know, whether, whether people believe in climate change or not, genetically modified foods are out there, the climate is causing problems. And so as a result, um, if you Take just soybeans, for example, right? Soybeans um, took off like crazy because of the protein content and what it does, and there's a lot of great health benefits to soybeans. But we genetically modified that product, and so it changed it a little bit. And and then with the environment change, we have a lot of CO2, which then um, CO2 is good for plants, but a whole lot of CO2 is not so good for plants. And the USDA just released a report that's just startling that with the excess of CO2 in these plants, it's affecting um, how it metabolizes 
everything from the yeah. soil. So it's not producing certain minerals anymore. So, you know, you when you eat, everything has to be balanced out. So I think what what's going to happen is that there's people are going to have to be taught again on, on what to eat. So if you're going to eat soybeans, you need to eat something that's, say, higher in, in, in magnesium and, and things like that. Okay. Things and zinc that that's not in these in these products anymore. Yeah. So it's a whole other industry that's that's going to be growing out of it. Yeah. That's yeah. I think. Oh, that's probably another one of those. That's probably a discussion for another day, oh, yeah. right? And, yeah. and a whole other podcast. But um, yeah, and, and we're actually looking at doing a, a series on this podcast, mm-hmm. a little looking at things like that and. Maybe this was a good intro to it, and we'll, yeah. we'll get you back for that. But, um, yeah, like you said, I, I think that people are going to have to start relearning how to eat and, and relearning what's actually good for them and what's not good for them. And uh, I think it's cool that you have a spot like this that not only are you producing for people, but you're also educating um, people. And, and the more people get educated, you know, the more that goes about out sure. into the world, which, yep. which is awesome. Um, so obviously big companies are, are coming to you guys for, for more mass production stuff. Do you ever work with smaller restaurants or chains that come to you for help with their menus or anything like that? We do from time to time. We work with, with one-ons um, every once in a while. Um, they learn and we learn. You know, we, we learn a lot of, lot of great techniques, maybe different cooking techniques that a lot of these one-on restaurants have and where they're actually doing certain things to develop certain flavor profiles. And we take that learning and then we try to incorporate that into some of the other products that, that are produced on, okay. on a mass scale. Yeah. Um, and what, what are you doing on a day-to-day? Like how, how many different things are you working on here at the company? Not just you personally, but your team. Um, well, geez, there, there's probably at least eight to ten um, different products that are being developed all throughout the day. As a result, we all taste those products, yeah. and um, there haven't been any that I can remember that were really bad. And so, when you taste these things, you're you almost eat a full serving. So, you know, at the end of the day, you've you've eaten a lot of food. Yeah, but it's spread out, and that's. You know, kind of the way that we're built, so you're supposed to spread that out. So you never have to pay for lunch when you work here. No, actually, what we do, we do have lunches brought in, and okay. so the the staff looks at different menus out there to see what's new, and then we bring lunch in, and okay. we all sit down and, and have it together. I gotta say, I mean, this would be like the coolest job if if there's any. I mean, there's a lot of culinary students that listen. You know, this kind of thing, um, and we'll get into how you got into it and all that, but. Um, it's it's awesome, and you seem like a great boss. So just to kind of uh, sing your praise there for nah. a second. But uh, according to your website, you're you're also involved with cost reduction as well. Um, what kind of things do you do to to help companies reduce their own costs? Well, you know, looking around um, around the globe to see what's happening on with different crops, and um, sometimes you know there's shortages with droughts. You you don't get um, the yields that you want to, or even the labor side. I, I think we talked on um, on chili peppers, right? So yeah. the hatch chilies, uh, there was a low yield on that because we didn't have people to harvest it. You know, people were afraid to go up and, and start harvesting the stuff. So what do you do? You have crops rotting in the field. People are still, they like that hatch flavor. So then we come up with other chilies that are out there and then fortify it with a hatch chili natural flavor interesting yeah so that yeah so instead of your hatch chili fields 
just going to waste your at least yeah yeah or tomato fields and stuff and you know with uh with just the way the climate is you know you you, if you're a farmer it it, that's a heck of a job yeah you know you don't know what's coming in yeah and and how do you know i don't know how to ask the question the right way but when you're trying to pull that hatch chili flavor how do you know which parts to pull (laughs) well there's um what they'll do they'll um put it into a blender and, and, and then macerate it up. And then we then send it out to, uh, to an analytical group that we work with up in New Jersey. And they'll put it through GC mass specs. And so they'll, once you do that, you subtract it to heat. Then there's different, it comes out like a graph. And there's high points and low points. Then you do the, uh, the math on it so you know what compounds are in it. And then you know what, natural compounds uh that you can use and some sometimes there's some background noise but then you have an idea of how to build that okay and (laughs) this is just a funny side note but one of the things that i've gotten comments on with this podcast is that i bring up too much that i'm from new jersey and that that new jersey comes up too much just kind of as a joke and i'm glad you were the one to bring it up this episode not me um (laughs) uh, but like i was saying like your your facility is is really is just incredible it's it's a really cool place you've got a couple different kitchens and um and then you've also got your manufacturing plant um where you're doing you know all the spices and everything Mm -hmm. um so this kind of your test kitchen Uh, but do you ever host tours for people that want to come out or, or people interested in culinary we sure do. We work with a lot of schools. We've done programs with uh, with the Art Institute, the Cardinal Blue, um, Texas Women's University. I've done classes down at SMU and the University of, uh, of, of Texas down in Arlington. We've done classes there. But we, we do bring a lot of students in here and, in, and just um, regular folks who just kind of wander in or, or friends and family that, that come in. And then we also will do like um benefits okay uh, benefit dinners that uh, we'll, we'll you know we'll do maybe a chef's table for 12 people very cool and and people do, just don't know about this industry yeah and they just come totally unglued when they come in yeah i mean i that's that's how i feel <laughs> honestly um and and i feel like i know a bit about the industry yeah, so sure. uh but give us kind of an audio tour of of the facility right now just you know tell us about your different uh, each kitchen and, and what its uses. Okay. So when you walk in the front door, we have um, a lot of unique artwork that's that's hanging around the facility, and it's uh, she this this woman used to teach art up at um, University of Texas in, in Denton, and th- that's a whole nother story. But but it you look at it and it kind of reminds you of food. It has a, a foodie feel to it. But we have a conference room, and then we have a hospitality room where we have a full service bar. So we do do some mixology uh, yeah. here as well, and we try to put the culinary into it. Then we have a library um, just for going through different recipes, and we have lots of textbooks there, as well as the um, the internet, so we can pull up a whole lot more information. Then as you go down the hallway, there's the, um, we call the residential or kettle kitchen, where we have kettles where we can do 20 pounds at a time. We have a residential stove that's on plug and play too, so if we're working with a customer and they know that their customers use Kenmore or Thermidor, we can bring those in okay, and cool. make sure that it performs on those platforms. Yeah, or if they want to have multiple platforms, then we can do that as well. Um, we have some other equipment for baking. We have sheeters in there. We have a co-extruder that we can make 
um, empanada type things or egg rolls and, and things like that. Um, and then my office, which is the dish room. <laughs> uh, and then the next room, we have some panning equipment where we do snack food seasonings. We can do confectionery in there. Um, we have a dehydrator, so we can do different meats and vegetables in, through that. Roller grill studies. We have vacuum marinator. We have needle injectors, so we can do um, protein products, whether it's seafood or chicken or beef yeah. or whatever. Um, and then we have, you go into the commercial kitchen, and that's where we have a full cook line of, that, of everything that you can imagine that's on there. And all that stuff is on plug and play so that when we bring a chef in from a restaurant, we set that line up exactly the way that they have it so that they can see how the, how the flow is and that there's no distractions because they're here just to focus on the food. Yeah. And we try to stay ahead of the cooking platforms too. We have a, it's kind of like a combi oven, but it's from Italy. It's been in the country here now, I think five or six years. And it's, um, I think it's one of the best that, that's out there. And it's, it's, it's like a, an iPad platform. So you can you know, just scroll through and pick what you want, or you can set, create your own menu. Uh, I can control it from my phone. The best thing about it, it cleans itself. It has a CIP system okay, in it. Okay, that's cool. At the end of the day, you push the button, you come back, and it's clean in the morning. We have blast freezer in there, um, all kinds of uh, mixers, extruders, vacuum sealers. Um, Maybe your spice room as well. And then on and on. Then you go back to this to our development center, which is our spice room, and we have um, you name the spices back there: different starches, native starches, different salts. Uh, Sea salts from all over the globe, different uh, flavor extracts because sometimes you can't add, say, enough basil to something. Yeah. Because it just won't hold up. So we have uh, natural extracts of basil and through the through the whole line, uh, and everyone has a workstation back there. And then we have an outdoor kitchen as well, that's um, has burners out there and and a grill as well. So we can mimic what's what goes on at the home and sometimes restaurants will want a flavor profile that fits what you cook on the outdoor grill and not to mention the beautiful view of the golf course and yeah you know you're not staring at the in a, when you're in a kitchen you're not just looking at kitchen equipment all day but i'm glad you walked through that because I, I just wanted to give people an idea of of everything that you do mm -hmm. here you know it's 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 a lot that yeah. you guys um, are, are involved in. Um, and, and like I was saying, you know, we, we have a lot of culinary students that listen to the podcast. And um, if someone's listening today and they think, okay, this is sounds amazing. This, you know, maybe what I want to do. Um, how do you get into this field? What was your training like? And, and, you know, what would be the first steps that you would recommend to somebody? You know, back, back when I started, you know, 100 years ago in this industry, um, there really wasn't um, food science. It was food industry courses in college. Culinary, it was you went to the CIA or you actually hammered it out in, in the back of a restaurant. I worked in restaurants, so I learned the culinary side, but I learned most of the cooking techniques from, from my grandmother and family growing up. Um, but then, I, you know, I, as I got out of high school, I tried to figure out what I wanted to do. Went to college, and I started to major in biology, and that's a whole other story. I kept changing Sub majors because I didn't know what I wanted to do. But I kept going back to the science side of it. Um, started to work in quality assurance. And then um, the colony thing just kind of fell to the wayside because nobody was really doing it until got into the flavor industry. 
then we started to build the whole process of putting food in there. Okay. From a culinary perspective. Okay. Developing stocks, demi-glosses. Yeah. And stuff like that. Yeah, and, and now here you are today with, with Culinary Focus and the Spice Guild. Uh, what do you see for the future of the company? Where, where do you see kind of going from here? I think what would be interesting is to develop uh, a couple different centers of excellence around around the states. Um, of course, my dream is to have one in Italy. Okay, cool. Which would be, which would be fun yeah. to do. It would be nice for you to travel out there, I'm sure, too. Yeah, and then, <laughs> you know, by, by having multiple locations, and even if we had something in, in Europe, um, you know, the employees here would have the option of working at different different locations. Yeah. This has basically just been a, a pitch to get people to come work for there you. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, so just to kind of close it out, if, if there is, you know, if, if people are listening to this and they're still a little confused about food science, um, what's what's the most simple way you could break it down? Uh, what's what's the most important thing that people need to know about what you guys do? I, I think, you know, for an individual, you have to have the passion and excitement for food yeah. and, and that the drive. And if, if you don't, then... It becomes just a regular job, and you have to really enjoy what you do. And that's what food is about. We build a story around food yeah. uh, to bring back the memories. And, and I think that's what a lot of the folks here that work in our, in our company try to re- recreate some of those emotions and, and stories about the food. Yeah. Cool. That's that's a great pitch right there. So, Dr. Wisnusi, thank you so much for all your time, not only uh, on the podcast today, but but for touring me around the facility. I really appreciate it. And, and like I said, maybe we'll have you back on uh, sometime next year when we're um, looking at uh, what, what, what we were talking about before with the health sciences and the ever-changing world and, and all that. No problem. Come back for lunch. Yeah, we will. <laughs> that episode was brought to you by the Culinary School of Fort Worth. Located on Camp Bowie Boulevard, the Culinary School of Fort Worth is helping future chefs pursue their dreams every single day. You can reach out for more information or to schedule a tour on their website at csftw.edu or you can reach them by phone at 817-737-8427.